from Green Biz Group, welcome to Center Stage, the best of live interviews from Green Biz events. I'm Joel McCower. The green bond market surpassed 300 billion in issuance last year. To give you order of magnitude, the overall bond market is 100 trillion. So we're talking about T versus B. So it's still, at this point, still small, but it's growing rapidly. Erin Robert is head of capital strategies at J.P. Morgan Chase. She spoke with me at the Green Biz 18 conference in Phoenix, Arizona, about the role of banks, institutional investors, and governments in financing the transition to a low-carbon economy that aligns with the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals. Let's listen in. So, Erin, last, um, I think it was August, so last summer, uh, JPMC uh, committed, I guess, the $200 billion, that's billion with an I-L-L-I-O-N, no, uh, with, um, <laughs> to, uh, to facilitate clean financing. Could you parse that sentence for me? Absolutely. And maybe before I delve into our commitments, I do a bit of stage setting on, on what we mean by financing the energy transition. You know, so I, I don't need to tell anyone in this room that we're at a bit of an inflection point. You know, we're really changing the way that energy has been produced, delivered, and consumed over the last hundred years. So I want to make sure we've got that backdrop because this is this is huge, right? We're we're moving from you know a grid that has one-way flows of power to a grid with two-way flows. Energy is becoming more distributed. So to to understate, I think the the level of change that's required there. Um, you know, I, I want to make sure that we've got that that broad context. And so for us, that meant, well, okay, we know this isn't going to happen overnight. We know a lot of technology needs to be developed. And we're working with a lot of you in the room on, you know, who are actually doing you know, the, the, the hard work on the ground to develop that technology. So really, what's the role of a financial institution in that? And here we come to the money. Um, so you know, as, as Joel mentioned, in July, we made this announcement to facilitate $200 billion of clean financing which really means to get at the, the breadth of financial activities and services um, that, are, that are really required in order to do so, whether that's advising clients on acquiring clean technology companies, um, assisting in underwriting green bonds for clients who are um, you know, really developing uh, their own or greening their own energy footprints. And so for us, that, you know, it was really the, we were trying to answer the question, what's the role of a financial institution in this conversation? Well, that is, that is a good question. I mean, what role do you see? Uh, I mean, it seems like there's a, a sort of a financial arms race going on among, you know, B of A and Citi and Wells and Barclays and a bunch of other uh, big global banks, but who can, uh, you know, escalate to the highest number. I think you might be at the lead with 200 billion. I don't know if there's been some 100, 125. Uh, and, and the number is, is, is still noise in your world. Uh, just in terms of the, what that represents, but what do what role do you see uh, banks like J.P. Morgan Chase playing as we go to finance the two degrees or, or sustainable development goals that we're all aiming towards? Yeah, it's a great question, and, and ultimately, I think it means that we end up playing to our strengths. And here, where where we do have this kind of financial services arms race, that competition is great. It's great for the market, and. Frankly, it really, um, the commitment for us helped to, to communicate to our employees the way that we are focusing on this space and encourage them to go to market together, to look for more opportunities, and really to know that, that senior management was behind it. So 
Um, as you've seen last week, we've, you know, JP Morgan made some announcements in the healthcare space. When Jamie Dimon does something, he, he generally likes to do it big, and he thinks that um, you know, business and the private sector have a role to play here. So what does that actually translate to? Well, we're, we're a big institution. We employ 250,000 people. We have operations in 60 countries across 6,000 buildings and 75 million square feet. Yeah. That's, a, that's a lot. Um, so we also committed to go 100% renewable by 2020. It's a big and aggressive commitment. Um, and the way we're doing that, I think, is also a bit unique. We're really looking for transactions that our business can help facilitate. Good example of that, last year, our, our commodities team partnered with our real estate group to commit to buy 100% of the power from a wind farm in Texas called the Buckthorn Wind Project. And there was a 100 megawatt wind farm. We didn't have enough demand to buy all of the power but our counterparty, Energy, uh, who's in the room too, um, developing the wind farm, really, they want to work with one buyer. So and it, basically, when, when JP Morgan can together buy 100% of the, the power produced, that's a win for us, that's a win for Energy, and it's a win for the grid, because we're helping uh, develop a project uh, through, through our financing activities and through our, um, through our offtake that facilitates more renewable power development. Yeah. How does that translate to business activities? Well, we're a trusted advisor for a lot of our clients and work with many of you in the room on doing the same thing for your own renewable footprints. And so it's a way to translate a, a need at JP Morgan from a power consumption standpoint to um, insights and expertise for our clients so that we can help scale up the um, renewable power consumption of everyone in the room as well. I, I'm curious about, I guess for lack of a better word, additionality. It's how much of this that you're doing uh, is new because of this, in your case, $200 billion commitment, or how much of this is just a way of rolling up and, and, and uh, what things you're already doing, and does that matter? Great question. We spent so much time internally on this and really wanted to make sure that this was uh, you know, not just repackaging things that are already happening. That being said, there's, there's some value, I think, corporately to doing so because a lot of our organizations are really large. We have a lot of employees and making sure they're aware of what's actually happening at the organization I think is a challenge we can probably, all, all, that all resonates with all of us. Um, so for us, there is value in packaging what's already happening. You know, that said, for our 200 billion commitment, we wanted to, to do something more. So, so for us, that actually represents, it's you know, 200 billion over 10 years, 20 billion per year. That's, that represents about a 25% increase over the activity that we had done um, over the three years prior. And so for us, that really meant you know, making our different organizations work together in a different way. So one plus one equals three, hiring new people. So hiring someone who can actually structure power purchase agreements for um, renewable assets. Yeah. And so making sure that we really have the right people um, on the ground who can, who can do that work. So it sounds like the impact of that commitment is as much internal as external. Absolutely. And um, as we, we just think about demographics, which I think is a, a big conversation in uh, the sustainability dialogue, Look, our 50% you know, of new hire, 50% of our um, overall employee population, they're millennials. And these are issues that are really important to them. And so we want them to be proud of the company that they're working for. This is a group that doesn't see a need to you know, trade off doing well and doing good. And so if we can leverage their energy and their expertise, that's certainly a huge win. Yeah. Let's talk about um, 
green bonds. Um, uh, certainly, and, and there's a bunch of various there's climate bonds and sustainability bonds, and uh, I saw HSBC did an SDG-related bond that I think had a 3x oversubscription. Um, so there's obviously some demand here, and I think there's also a lot of, um, you know, because of the longer-term pay, you know, payout, it's, it's sort of goes against uh, so a lot of the shorter term thinking I'm sure you know green bonds I don't I'm a trader I don't even buy green bananas you know <laughs> uh, and and so how do you uh, how does that fit in and what is that something that really is at scale a game changer great question so the green bond market surpassed 300 billion in issuance last year to give you order of magnitude the overall bond market is 100 trillion. So we're talking about T versus B. So it's still, at this point, still small, but it's growing rapidly. Um, you know, issuance in 2012, I think, um, was 12.5 billion. Maybe you can explain also just what these yeah, are. What is a green bond? So, um, so green bond is, is simply a bond. It's an instrument issued by a corporation. And the corporation says to the, to the bondholders, hey, I'm gonna use these proceeds for these green projects. And they can, so basically they just commit to um, ensure that, that the proceeds that are being used are for designated green purposes. And there's some better rates or lower costs or a faster track of permitting of projects in some cases? I would say, I would say it this way. Um, there's an evolving and emerging investor base, the sustainable investor universe, again, somewhat demographically driven as we have more women, more millennials entering into the investor landscape. Um, and, and I'd say it allows companies to diversify their investor base. The question of the pricing benefit, I think um, we, we um, had a few discussions on that yesterday as well. I think it's still up in the air. Um, there, there have certainly been some evidences of you know, one to two basis points trading differentials in the secondary market. But I, I think that's, that's an emerging question. It's as companies are doing more of this and there are more investors clamoring for these products, can you actually create a, a situation where there's more demand for the bond, the green bonds than there is supply? And I think actually, um, you know, look, there are, there are lovers and haters of green bonds and the number of questions I've fielded internally, like what, what is a green bond? And you, know, you walk them through the, the explanation and they're like, oh, so it's a bond. And frankly, that in itself is a huge success because what you're doing is you are, you are finding traditional investors and you're convincing them to jump into a product that has green purposes. In, in doing that, what we are actually doing is, in a, in a bit of a, a sneaky way, exposing them to the vocabulary that we're all familiar with and so that they're understanding the imperative of the projects that are being financed with, with green bonds. So what do the haters say? I'm not sure what the hating part is. <laughs> so so the, I, I think there's, there's the question of, you know, is this big enough to move the needle? Um, and you know, my response there is, look, this is directional. The, the market is growing so dramatically, uh, and, and that, in alone, that, that in itself um, is a huge win. And you know, to bring this back to you know, what the role of a financial institution is here, um, I'll, I'll you know, bring this back to energy geekdom, as, as Pete brought up earlier. You know, we can assist in the development and standardization of this market. So Maryland CC, um, who many of you know, uh, runs our green bond franchise. And she's been involved in the market before it was even created, helped to write the green bond principles. Um, and, and that shows where, where JP Morgan can help um, the market understand what investors are really gonna need and what they're going to look for. So that we're, we're ensuring we've got diversified exposure 
that we have a large investor base that can bring scale to the types of initiatives that, that we all know um, need to happen in order to accelerate the energy transition. So the demand is there, um, and, and there seems to be some aspiration to, to accelerate and scale this. And we're, we're talking a lot about at this event about how do we accelerate the pace of change? How do we get to bigger, bigger scale quicker? What does it take to do that? Are you, is it, because it sounds like there, there's a lot of demand for this and there's no, I don't know, I'm, I don't know if there's a shortage of capital. Is there enough capital to, to deploy? What's the gating issue that, that this can't suddenly ramp in? And, and what's the, what happens if it does? What, what gets to happen, uh, particularly along the, the Paris uh, goals and the SDG goals that might not have happened? Great question, and, and frankly, I'll, I'll bring this back to partnership, which has been a theme this morning. Um, so my, my partners from the World Business Council for Sustainable Development and the Business and Sustainable Development Commission are, are sprinkled throughout the room. And this is where the um, you know, coming together of the financial services industry, the multilateral development banks, um, and the NGO world, I think, is, is crucial to closing the gap here. And some of it isn't a financing gap, actually. I think some of it is a prioritization gap. Prioritization so, of what? What do you mean? And so I'll give you a great example. The, the um, BSDC just um, has, has put together a paper called, you know, the, blend, uh, the product of the blended finance task force, which is really addressing this question of, you know, the, the supposition is that the, there is this big capital gap and the private sector has not come in to finance um, the, the projects that are needed in the developing world in order to meet the SDGs. And so we brought to the table folks from our emerging market infrastructure team who, who finance these deals on a you know, day-to-day basis. And their comment was actually, you know, hey guys, we're, we're here. We've, we've got balance sheet. Well, we need our projects. And what they pointed to is you know, this, this $2 trillion per year um, that's needed to, to maintain these growth rates. So, okay, $2 trillion is needed, but there's only $600 billion in projects in the pipeline. So even if we financed every single project that was out there, you'd still have a huge gap in terms of the, the projects that, are, that need to be financed in order to keep, this, to keep these um, growth rates constant. And so to that end, you know, work, working with folks like the IFC, um, we're, we're you know, guiding the market into you know, where's, where are some of the capital of the multilateral development banks? Where should that be focused? And some of it is in technical assistance and project development so that we're de-risking projects earlier, so that more capital flows can come in. And that, I think, while a very wonky discussion, is, is the type of conversation that's needed in the space, so that we are closing you know, what um, people in finance call the bid-ask between you know, assets that need to be financed and the, the money that's there. We're getting into, a, I don't want to get to your questions in just a minute, we're getting into a conversation, we think, in the United States about infrastructure. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's, you know, some, it's still unclear whether, how much, a trillion, trillion and a half, which is probably a, uh, a third to a fourth of what's needed on an, an, on an annual basis. Um, but be that as it may, there's a lot of money that's going to be deployed, some of it, uh, a, a small part from the federal government to leverage a larger part. Where do you see the opportunity for green bonds, green investment, green infrastructure, uh, and the financing of all of that? Is, is that a hopeful thing, or are you, is it, do you feel there's a risk of, that, that 
you, the green finance part might get left out of the conversation? You know, I think you're, you're seeing a merging of the minds of green finance versus regular finance. Um, and I think we, we do talk a lot about green bonds um, because it's, I think, a, a pretty understandable um, product. But there's a lot going on in the broader space. So we have a tax equity team that has financed um, hundreds of wind farms throughout the U.S., and that, I think, is, is harder to talk about because it's, again, a bit of a wonkier product. And so I think this is where um, you know, we look to the broader businesses, not just our green bond underwriting, but we've got a public finance team that underwrites you know, over $5 billion a year in the sexiest bonds of all, sewage and solid waste and water treatment facilities. <laughs> and so those are the types of critical infrastructure that, that you know, it's not as exciting to talk about, but is, it is critical national infrastructure. Um, some of the other um, teams throughout our firm who are, who are working on this are utilities coverage. These are all themes that our clients are facing outside of even these, you know, these four walls. It's not just the green imperative for them. It is, you know, they are looking over the you know, next 20, 30 years, which is the, the term of their, you know, the capital um, that they're going to, the, the projects that they'll be financing with CapEx. Yeah. And they're, they're looking at the, at the landscape and they're seeing a gravitation toward more renewable. Um, and that's a role for us to play, not just because of the moral imperative and to advance the SDGs, but because it's what our clients expect us to do. We are helping them to risk manage much like they're managing their interest rates or commodities exposures. Yeah. Elaine, what are we hearing from the audience? Yeah, lots of really interesting questions here. Um, we're going to ask kind of the first one, which is um, whenever we read about clean economy financing commitments, like the ones that JP Morgan is making, $200 billion, um, which is amazing, um, we wonder when will you guys take money out of financing the old fossil fuels world? So how do you use your market power to help change the direction, i.e., how do you balance that business case to transition out of fossils-based markets? Yeah, and by the way, I just, uh, your, to your nomenclature before, you talked about green finance versus regular finance. Mm -hmm. I think you've got to come up with some better words for that because, <laughs> because it, you know, maybe it's green finance and brown finance or at least conventional finance, right. but the regular versus this is just going to give green stuff this irregular name. And, and this is where I think you're seeing the merging of green finance and traditional finance um, you know, coming into being because you're seeing environmental and social issues being factored into investments just from a prudent risk management standpoint. And, and you know, from a, you know, I'll, I'll go back to the transition narrative. Um, we know that we can't finance the world with renewable power 100% tomorrow, but we're committed to accelerating the time that it will take for that transition. And, you know, to, to answer this question, you know, we know that we are in um, a unique position to bring a critical eye to the businesses that we do because we know that financing is the lifeblood of all these industries. Um, so to that end, we have an environmental and social risk policy framework that, that takes a look at the businesses that we're doing um, across oil and gas, extractives industries, and also highlights businesses that we're, we won't do. Um, we've committed to reduce our exposure to the coal mining space um, over time. Um, accelerating over the next couple of years. Um, and then I think the market, market forces, too, have a role to play here. Um, so we're, we're seeing that happen naturally. So you know, to that end, I think ensuring that we're financing or that we're working with clients who are doing business responsibly and holding them to account and ourselves to account um, to ensure that, that these companies are, are emulating best practices in the industry is, is a good place for us to be, yeah. knowing that 
fossil fuels are going to be in the in, you know, it, a part of energy production yeah. over the medium term. And, 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 and we don't want to lose our seat at the table for that. There's probably a, a, some role you can play in just waving companies off of, or municipalities off of sort of dumb investments in light of where the world's going. Just for example, big parking garages at, at airports or anywhere else in a world of autonomous, connected, shared electric vehicles, uh, they're not going to be needed anymore. And yet there's, we see them all over the place being, being built. Another question, Elaine? Wow, okay, um, so, yes, <laughs> yes many questions, um, many good questions. We have a short one now. Okay, short one. Versus US. Yes, where are you spending the money um, generally from a global standpoint? So you talk a lot about emerging economies versus within the US, we have yeah. aging infrastructure within the US, we have rural regions within the US. So I guess, do you think more of that money is going to be used in the U.S. or globally, or yeah. where do you see those markets? And is one more profitable than the other for you? No, it's a, it's a great question. From you know, from a geographical standpoint, last year um, it was about 50% in the U.S. and 50% outside of the U.S. So EMEA, APAC. Um, in terms of profitability, no. Um, it's simply you know the the um, broad swath of businesses that that we cover. And from a you know U.S. standpoint. Um, a lot of this will go through, like, like I mentioned, our, our municipal finance businesses, where you know, we have deep reach into city, states, and local governments throughout the U.S. It's actually where, where I started my career working with municipal utilities. And so you know, to that end, um, as we see more flows into the emerging markets, we expect to be, there to be um, much more activity there as well. Well, there's a lot more to talk about. It's a fascinating subject that's only going to get fascinating or over the next few years as, as green finance becomes uh, a much more part of the conversation and a critical element in everything that we're doing. So we'll stop it there, but please join me in thanking Aaron Robert. Thank you so much. You've been listening to Aaron Robert of J.P. Morgan Chase in conversation at the Green Biz 18 conference in February 2018. For more Center Stage podcasts, go to greenbiz.com slash center stage. And while you're there, tune into Green Biz 350, our weekly podcast covering the news and the people behind the news in sustainable business and clean technology. For all of us here at Green Biz Group, I'm Joel McCower. Thanks for listening.